Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. Today's episode, my guest is Greg Fuse. He's the mastermind behind Bookshark. We're going to be taking a behind-the-scenes look at how Bookshark was created and why. And for those of my listeners who are maybe 40 and older, if you can kind of envision when MTV used to actually play music videos, they used to have an amazing show called Behind the Music. So we are going to go behind the scenes of Bookshark. Let me introduce you to Greg. Greg, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. uh, Thanks, Jana. That is funny because I am one of those people that remember Behind the Music when, uh, like you said, VH1 used to actually show uh, videos. So I remember the good old days. Yes. Now, I mean, I guess you can still watch music videos, but it's just not on the actual television. It's, it's not on television anymore. It's it's YouTube. And typically it's my kids pulling it up, not me, because I wouldn't even know what songs to, to watch videos for. So, so yeah, now it's all on demand. I would have loved that back in the day to be able to pull up any video I wanted anytime I could. But if that was the case, then Bookshark may have never been creative because we didn't have, we had extra time back in our day. Exactly. There was nothing else to do. So in the meantime, we recorded it on our VHS and watched it over and over again for the week before. So, so yeah, I wouldn't have time to, to, to do this if I could readily pull it up on my phone. Well, Bookshark has been around now since 2014. 14. So technically, 13 was when we started uh, developing it. Okay. So in the last almost then 10 years, people, hundreds of thousands of people have heard about Bookshark. We have families who have been faithfully using it from the inception. I myself am in year seven. So I am super excited that I was not quite at the very beginning, but am a faithful user of Bookshark in my own home. Let's talk to our audience a little bit about how you even came into the homeschool environment. Sure. First, I'm going to make a comment on things. two things you said um, about people using it uh, for years. Our very first customer still uses Bookshark. Actually, she set up our Facebook called Homeschooling with Bookshark. She doesn't admin it anymore, but she started it. So it's just so funny how um, people can stick so long. And the reason why we created Bookshark, we'll get that, into that in a minute, was for the school you attended, Cloverleaf. So, I mean, just by chance, we're sitting here because uh, uh, you knew of us and you were using us, but it, it is funny. The reason we started is because of the school you attended uh, where you got Bookshark. That it, it's amazing how things come full circle. Okay. So my personal connection to Bookshark is that I was connected with a school district who happened to carry your product. What is your personal connection to Bookshark, Greg? My personal connection is actually my um, my children attended the same school that, that your children did because it's local. Uh, my wife actually worked there. Um, she homeschooled and then one day a week, our children would go to the school. It was an enrichment program where students would enroll, they'd get free curriculum, and then um, they would have enrichment. So they would go to the school and they would, and I'll just give the name as Cloverleaf, um, they would go to the school and, you know, do science projects and, and act in plays, et cetera, stuff you can't do at home. So uh, it was a cool event for them, even though they could meet other kids who homeschooled. But my wife taught there and got to know the principal enough to where we, um, uh, we hung out socially and 
one night we were, uh, I think that may have been a New Year's Eve party. She said that I wish I can get curriculum. Curriculums out there are, are faith-based and we can't use faith-based. I wish well, I wish there was. And the few that aren't, are still fun. Um, so can you think of one? She knew um, that I worked for Sunlight. And um, she said, you know, can you sell Sunlight to us and remove the religious piece? And I, and I said, I could not. I said, but what we can do is we can sell all the books that are, that are part of the program. And then you, the school, encourage parents to go out and buy the guide on their own. And the guys are, you know, like $80 and, you know, to go from free to 80 bucks, most parents don't want to do that. So we found some creative ways to, uh, we tried to some creative ways to make it work and it just wouldn't work. Uh, I mean, you definitely have to remove faith material from, uh, from what the school paid for. Across a few other schools that reached out to us from, uh, one from Hawaii, from California that said, you know, we're really cool if we uh, find a way to get us curriculum because our parents love it. They really want it, but uh, we can't buy it from you. So I went to management and said, there's an opportunity for us. There are a lot of parents out there who are struggling for a curriculum and want good curriculum. And I think that we can serve them. To do that, we'd have to create a new one, uh, a curriculum based uh, as much as we can on the existing Sunlight product, but remove all the faith-based materials and references and uh, you know, even a little bit of the political bent that is in Sunlight and, um, and scrape it. Now, when you were presented with this opportunity, did you hesitate at all or did you know right away that this was going to be the next big thing in homeschool? She told me that she needed something. And I saw the size of the size was a decent size. And I knew how many, I knew how many students there were roughly because uh, my wife taught for it. You know, she told me roughly how many courses there were or how many teachers there were, how many students were in each class and how many days they had that back into. I'm like, oh, that's a good number of students. So just in itself, it would have, paid back what we were doing, but I wouldn't have done it just for that. So I started looking at, um, at customers, uh, people who had called us in the past. So we still said, sorry. So I've got to, I went to our CR team and said, Hey, how often do these happen? You still have names. And I started, um, looking at the schools and see how many students were enrolled into one of those schools. And I'm like, this is, uh, we have to do this. So, um, I would say not immediately when she brought it up, but my wheels were already turned and saying, you know what? I think this opportunity already exists. So, so yeah, it was good to see. If my wife had not worked for that school, I don't, a bookshark may have never started. Now, professionally, are you a big picture thinker? Up until this point, you're working in finance, right? So what is your background in, in business that gave you the confidence to say, this is a big yes? I would say it's just, it's always been, I'm kind of more on the entrepreneurial bench. Like, I mean, right out of college, my first job, my boss who, you know, here you got this little punk 22 year old coming in and saying, you know, your systems are too old. You should be updating these. And, um, you know, usually you get fired for something like that. But uh, he uh, he liked it. And um, I implemented a new accounting system for him. From there, I went to my next job. I was in accounting. And, I, you know, I, it was frustrating me that we weren't growing. It was a restaurant, a well-known restaurant brand. It was actually a, it was Winchell's Donuts. We had thousands of locations. We were international. But we hadn't really been growing at a pace that I had hoped to grow. And I made enough comments when the, the VP of... Um, of development who led franchising and, and new store growth. When he was promoted to president, he asked if I would step in for his job. So now you got this little 28 year old punk who's managed things. And then we just, we started getting new stores, saw opportunities on, you know, uh, I saw how well Subway was doing. I went and met with Subway franchisees and I went to a few Winchell's franchisees and said, well, you know, what can we do differently? And, and we started growing again. So it was, so I kind of have that, you know, I have a little more of an entrepreneurial bent. I do love how you're demonstrating for people to understand that here you have a background in finance, right? Which a lot of 
homeschool parents would view as math, heavy math, and possibly uncreative. And yet here you are breaking the social norms to have a background in accounting and yet really wanting to be creative and create new things and and not kind of just do it the old way. It's one of those things when you look back and you go, gosh, I picked the wrong degree. <laughs> That's not really what I was supposed to be doing. But, but at the same time, it's good to have an accounting background when you go into, uh, I think, any business field. And so if there's any if there's anyone out there whose kid is uh, who's getting ready to go to college, you know, the, the, quote, unquote, I want to go in business. Well, business is so wide. There's management, there's marketing, there's economics, finance, accounting, et cetera. There's so many different routes to go. And I would recommend accounting no matter what they want to do, because um, having that understanding of numbers makes any initiative you make for a company you eventually go to. I wouldn't say it'll impress your, your first managers, but it'll give more respect to what you're doing because they'll know that you understand the entire flow because you know what the, the end result will be. So you know, even if you don't have a math brain, um, you, know, you don't think that way, if you can make it through accounting, as a, even if it's a minor, and understand how the numbers work, you know, if you're in marketing before you invest in a new campaign, uh, you would say, you know what, I'm looking at doing, you know, this new campaign. And then you would, from an accounting mind, you'd probably do a little more research and you'd see how much it would cost to create that campaign. You'd say, can I get the number of customers to pay for that campaign? And then you would, you would move forward and do that campaign or stop it, which is just as valuable as doing it is if you don't, um, if you know it's not going to pay back. So even though I think accounting really wasn't my, um, I'm really glad I did it. Really glad. I don't think Bookshark would not exist if I didn't have an accounting background because I would have never got ownership to approve it. They had to see that the numbers were there and and uh, what it would take to um, eventually work. So, so just like anything, the bottom line is the money, Greg. The bottom line. Um, well, <laughs> I love the bottom line is very important, but there's also the the vision. And I don't think we we would our owners would not have gone for if it was purely just money. They wanted to. They truly believe in their curriculum. They wanted to reach families that they couldn't reach. So it was a great opportunity for their approach, you know. And so knowing that the way that they teach would be able to go to people they couldn't reach was very important to them. And when they saw that vision, they jumped on board. I do love when I get to talk to new parents, um, new customers who are even on the convention floor thinking about Bookshark, giving them that background that, hey, yeah, we've been around for 10 years but our methodology and philosophies have been around for 30. You know, the benchmark of college graduates behind the way that we teach through our curriculum, it definitely helps for people to know that this isn't just some feel-good, cute name idea, that there is solid scientific evidence and numbers to back up how we present our material. Uh, With the number of books you read, the conversations you have, um, the way you interact with uh, the way you interact with your parents as they're reading aloud to you, um, the way you interact with your parents when they're done telling a story or they're done teaching a history course, um, I think that those those communication skills, um, it, you really uh, it's a great program to uh, teach how to communicate, build your vocabulary, and learn how to read quickly. I think one of the biggest questions that people really want answered is, how did you come up with the name Bookshark? <laughs> so I had read that you need a k in your name. Um, Facebook, uh, I, I there were I mean someone that comes off the top of my head. Um, Facebook was one of the um, ones I remember being, um, and then Shark had a k. So I probably took it to the next level. So uh, I'm I'm probably more literal than most people. You know, like I'm not a. I don't. How in the world does Yahoo have anything to do with the internet, right? I went in the world. I, 
how does Amazon have to do with, um, you know, they started with books and now they sell everything. What in the world is Amazon having to do anything with that stuff? I'm more literal. And so like the, the, the few names I came up with, I was like, I, you know, it was, it was all book, read, learn. And uh, I know a lot of people were, were like, that's too, it's too general. It's too late. So I was talking to a friend of mine about Shark Tank and actually our owner as well. I've always told her about Shark Tank. Oh, you should see this episode. You should see this episode. So sharks started catching on and it just turned into book shark. And the funniest thing is our entire company hated it. The only person who did like it was our owner. Everybody else hated it. Um, They thought it was dumb. I I mean, while I was walking through the office, while it was being developed, there are like little dolphins around, a little fish around, just mocking the name. So I'll never forget that. There was like a piece of me going, gosh, is this that corny that uh, this was a name we should have never picked? But uh, I like it now. So, And I think uh, that stigma is gone. I agree. What were some of the names that got left on the cutting floor? I think I had heard once moose, moose something. Was that, was that one of the animals? I, I do think moose was one of them, but there were, it was mostly learn, read, you know, like, I think it's just, it's hard to pick one. Uh, it, it's so funny. You think that um, out of all the things to do, picking name is hard. It took, it took weeks. I mean, I wasn't day in, day out, uh, 40 hours a week trying to come up with a name, but it took weeks for something to pop. It. It's finally, you know, this is the one. Well, and you think about when we're naming our children, right? As parents, we there are some people who just know what they want to name their kids, and it's a name that either it's a family name, makes it a little easier, or it's a name they've known, you know, from years before. Oh, that's what I want to name my kid. But I don't know about you and your wife, but my husband and I really struggled. And then we found out we were having two at once. <clears throat> and now we had, it, it wasn't just double the work. It was like quadruple the work because we had to figure out the first name, the middle name. Now there's two of them. And so it, it really is. I mean, there's just something about a name that really bookshark at any other name. I don't know. You know, what does Shakespeare say? A rose by any other name, would it smell the same? Like we just have, <laughs> we do have in our society, this connection to names. So true. Good. <laughs> it's a good analogy. Naming your kid. Um, and we were the same way. It, w- it wasn't just boom, boom, boom. It was, uh, what about this? What about this? What about this? And funny enough, all three of my kids have a in their name. So, so there's something to that. That's right. We're going to do some research now about the K in the names. and <laughs> That's probably changed by now. Now it's probably something to avoid. I'm sure. Like everything, in one day and out the other. Out the other. Sure, you can do it yourself. You can outline lesson plans every Sunday night. You can slice together mapping assignments and hands-on crafts that match your history lessons. You can pre-read dozens of books to find the best ones and then pick out vocabulary words and brainstorm discussion questions. You can look for the best science activities and then get all the supplies you'll need to do the experiments. You are more than capable of DIY homeschool. But do you really want to do all that? I mean, there's no need unless you just really love designing curriculum. Head to bookshark.com slash catalog to see the fully planned open and go options available to you. Parents love Bookshark because the heavy lifting has already been done for you. And then you get to do the fun parts. Read alouds on the couch, heart to heart discussions, kitchen experiments that make them fall in love with science. Melissa Stower says, the teacher's guide, you guys supply, is a lifesaver 
wonderfully put together, couldn't imagine doing this without your guides. At Little House, Big Imagination says, your science program is awesome. My daughter loves science now, such great projects. And my favorite part is that you provide almost everything we need for it. At Green BJJ says, another year of homeschooling with Bookshark underway. This reading-centric curriculum has been a staple in our school process since go. Secular and flexible, Bookshark curriculum comes with a 36-week planner to help guide daily instruction. This curriculum doesn't just make homeschool easy, it makes it rewarding. Check out the Bookshark catalog and create your best homeschool year yet. Get yours at bookshark.com slash catalog. Greg, let's talk about the when you first came up with the idea and you talked about the development that it went through and then now it's a product. What was your hope that first year? Well, I had a number that I provided our owner and said, hey, look, this first year, I think this is what we'll do. And, you know, as, as time goes on, this is what I think it, it'll grow into. And so I, mean, I backed in the number of customers it would take, the number of students enrollment that it would take to get to that number. and um, you know, it, it's so funny when on day one, when you launch the site, I, I probably hit refresh 500 times that day. And, um, you know, we had built it up on Facebook. Our first day was on June 1st of 2014. And we had our Facebook up uh, somewhere around late March. And so we were already marketing for and kind of doing a countdown. And there was a lot of talk in the, on the page. I'm going, oh, cool. We're going to and first day, we're, <laughs> I don't think we got an order. I think Lori placed her order that night. And I was like, oh, gosh, we're actually going to, this is going to work. <laughs> um, but uh, people out there really are going to buy. Uh, but I had a number my first year. And uh, we had done that number. We launched June 1st. We had already done that number by like July 15th. Tripled the number that uh, I had hoped to do the first year. So there was a good demand for it. Um, I knew it was out there. I just didn't think it would come that fast. Now, when you launched, your ideal customer was a school, was a government entity. Like, what was your what was your vision? You created it for a co-op. Is that what you were hoping for as it went out into the market? It was. I mean, we knew there were schools. I knew of, I mean, I knew of uh, about 10... The 15 in California. I know a few in Washington. I knew in Alaska and Hawaii. And then this one, uh, excuse me, there were five in Colorado. And I physically went to every one of those and, you know, and pitched it. So I knew those five schools would buy. Um, I knew potentially one in California, potentially ones in Alaska, potentially ones in Hawaii. Uh, my assumption was it would be them. But I also knew that the general public wanted a, a secular program. So I thought, you know, maybe one or two of those would buy it and then um, the rest would come from schools. But there was a greater demand than I thought in the uh, general homeschool market, now even more than it was back in 2014. For people who are just looking for secular curriculum, I'd say all walks of life um, have benefited from a program that's just truly neutral. I would agree. In fact, in this last year being on the floor at these conventions around the United States, I have talked with um, Muslims. I have talked with Buddhists. I have talked with Hindus. And it's so neat to be able to touch different cultures and different ideas, especially because homeschool itself 
in the 80s and 70s and 80s really was more of a faith-based community. And as it has grown in exponentially, especially since 2020, but even before 2020, it was gaining <coughs> traction. It was it was growing for sure. But now we have this opportunity to um, kind of have a, a worldview that wasn't there before. And it's worked out well. Um, like I said, it even in uh, even in Christian circles, but um, because we remain neutral, uh, which was you know from the beginning, like you know how do we go with this? Um, because we remain neutral and we just avoided faith items, anything that you know could be viewed as um, have a stigma either way. We we knew that if we had gone such origins on either side, you know, saying that the um, there was a, uh, was there a God would we just magically appear with our bang, whatever it may be. We didn't see any benefit in that because that's more personal at home. And we knew that if, if we could do this, then just like what you said, you know, absolute families that um, that didn't have a, a lot of faith-based part of their lives, they could all benefit from that. And if they had something specific that they wanted to cover, uh, they could cover that. And so it was, it's, it's been embraced the first year. It's funny, the first year, um, a lot of people thought that Book Shark was going to be kind of be a sheep and wolves clothing and oh, we're going to get your kid. We intentionally did not. We, we wanted to steer away from that as much as we could. And I love that Bookshark came to the homeschool community in a time where I think people were looking for a place for inclusivity. They were looking for a place to belong yeah. because there was so much faith-based curriculum that's really well-written and is solid and is good. It was encouraging at that time that you knew you could pick a curriculum that would neither promote nor discount what you yourselves were were believing in your home and teaching your children. And that is exactly what people have been looking for in 2013 and even now in 2022. Exactly. The nice thing is for Bookshark when we started is there just wasn't a lot of that out there. There was secular did have a bent against, uh, they almost intentionally had a bent against people with faith. So, um, you know, it wouldn't work for them. So now you have someone who's like, well, there's no one out there at all who coincides with my denomination and faith or, the, and, or uh, whichever, uh, you know, Buddhist, Islam or whatever it may be. Um, there was really nothing out there that fit everyone. Because I mean, the last thing you want to do in any faith is have someone say there's, there's no God. That would offend quite a few people. Um, and that was really the bent of, of the few secular ones that are out there. You really cornered the market in this idea of neutrality. And I know when we talk about it with our customers, they really want, they want an answer of for or against. And our common response, and it's a response that we'll stay with, and it's because it's the heart of why Bookshark was created. It truly is neutral. We will remain neutral so that as the parent, as the educator, you get to choose how you present those personal beliefs to your child. Absolutely. And that's something we want to stick to is, you know, it's kind of an 80-20 rule. You're never going to please everyone. And, you know, and that, that 10% on both ends of the bell curve, you just can't, you can't please everyone. And we don't expect to, but we think with our approach, we approve, we appease more um, because there are more in that middle range that are not offended either way. Um, but they, they would definitely prefer in their homes, uh, they would definitely prefer to have the, the opportunity to, uh, to bring it up. And, you know, I, th- I think it's important for people, for children to know all sides of, of, um, of faith and whether you do or don't believe in it and what, and all the different kinds, um, there's a lot of value in that, but you learn that through history. And so we don't duck it in history. You know, if, if something happens, faith-based item happens in history, we'll cover it. From a historical standpoint without trying to advocate for what's going on, 
But the bottom line is, is in history, most of it is influenced um, by the different religions. So to pull it all out would be a disservice. There's been a, it's been difficult to walk that fine line because when you have something, the Crusades, how do you, how do you cover the, the Crusades in a way that you ensure that you're not going either way um, with the faith and, you know, who is right, who is wrong, what, both, everyone's going to have their own opinion on that. I think you just put, you cover it the way that it happened. This is what happened. By, doing it, by covering it that way, you know. And like I said, I have, I have on the project building staff, multiple religions. It really helps us on that end so that uh, it balances it out. And if anybody gets tripped up, I, they'll br- bring it to me. And uh, <laughs> nine times out of ten, I'll say, cut it. Just, just don't even cover it. It's not like we're not going to cover it ten times in another place in the book. Yeah. I think it's so important in our society and the heart also behind Bookshark is to create critical thinkers. So we yes. present the information. We let the parents add or subtract whatever it is that falls in line with their worldview. And then we are just facilitating this beautiful opportunity to create critical thinking for these children to then create their own opinions as they move out into the world. Absolutely. And that's really where the neutrality exists. You know, we we prompt a question, we prompt an open-ended question. Um, When they're open-ended, now there should be um, far less offensive. Right. If it's open ended and it says, what do you think about this? It now opens the opportunity for the child to interact with the parent and the parent can say, um, you know, this is what um, this is what happened from um, their own perspective. You know, this is why it happened and this is what we think of it. Um, so there's really it, it is truly neutral when you do it that way. Open ended questions, um, you know, trying your hardest not to have any bent to it. An open ended question makes it a critical thinking decision. And like I said, it comes back to by having the critical thinking, you can also think of all sides of it. Really, the learning comes from those open-ended questions. So we try our hardest to to, to live there, open-ended as possible. Usually, if it's a fact-based question, a yes or no, or where did this happen? If we do that, it is just purely that Google answer, you know, you know they could talk about, you know, it'll be open-ended and say during this time period or during whatever it may be. Those are the only time we ask uh, direct questions. Good. Well, the last thing that we have released recently is the Bookshark Virtual. What was the brainchild behind that? Well, a lot of it had to do with, like you said, coming back with technology. But there's also many schools, they need proof of work. You know, it, literature-based is hard to show you know, proof of work because the the key to literature-based is the communication I was talking about earlier. You know, at the end of you read. And at the end of it, you have conversation. And that's how the program's set up. Well, there's no proof of work in that, right? I mean, how does the school know she actually read it? How does the school know she had a discussion with your parent? And rightfully so, they want to confirm that, this, that the students are, are learning. So we had to come up with a way to do that. And so we created Bookshark Virtual to take those discussion questions, turning it into a way that can be graded almost like in a quiz format. All of the uh, planning, et cetera, is done. However, there's there's no online work. You're not reading straight from books. You're not on a screen. And that was important to us, too. We wanted to make it so that uh, um, kids were on paper, not on uh, screens. We've been asked many times, will you please add um, digital books, uh, either through Kindle or MAB? And um, you know, people are free to do that if they'd like. But that's not how we sell the product. And we, we never, I'll say it right now, we never will. You wouldn't be true to Bookshark if you did. We wouldn't be true to Bookshark if we did. So anyway, we've had schools already adopt it. It's been great. We've been piloting it uh, and working with schools last year. This is the, the first year we went full in and we've had a, we've had a great response. 
All right, Greg, before we go, we always like to share a homeschool or life hack with our audience. So what do you have for us? As my kids, uh, as my kids grew older and, uh, you know, your influence starts to start to fade away a little more and more as they, they get into the world, you know, they get it under their phones and, um, you know, they have friends outside and our kids all played sports and, you know, they get to know uh, some of the kids in sports and some of them weren't the best influences. Uh, what I came up with was um, I went to my kids and I told them, look, I know you're going to make mistakes. And uh, mistakes happen. And I'm going I'm to give you this guarantee right now. No matter what you do, if you tell me, you're not going to get in trouble. If I find out, I'm going to come down on you very hard. I know that my kids, um, there's some accountability in it because they know they're eventually going to have to tell me. Um, so there's some accountability in it. Um, but also, if they do kind of go down a, a funny path, you have that open communication um, right there where you can, have, you can regain that influence and say, you know what? This is why you shouldn't do it. And I know it because you want to you want to fit in, or it's because you know it looks tempting and and fun, or you heard it's fun, or you've seen it in a video game that was fun. These are ramifications for it. And this is what you look like a year from now, and three years from now, and ten years from now if you start going down that road. So yeah, I would highly recommend. I mean, no one likes to tell their kid they can get away with something. It, it, secrets are probably the bigger danger than what they've done. So uh, catch it early, and if you can um, if you can get them talking to you throughout. Uh, throughout their teen years and um, maybe even adulthood. I don't know, maybe when they get the adults, I don't want to know. And through the teen years, I think it's very important. So try to try everything you can to keep that communication. Yeah, our uh, our daughters, they know that they have to, they're not allowed to keep secrets. They're allowed to keep surprises. Because, you know, when I started this when my kids were very little. <laughs> and so we really had to distinguish like, no, 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 you don't ruin a surprise. That wasn't a secret. It was a surprise. You're allowed to keep surprises, but we don't have secrets. And it has Good. served us very well. All right, Greg, as we're leaving, do you have some parting words for those who are listening? Uh, maybe they're interested in Bookshark. We may have listeners who have been faithfully using Bookshark, but maybe they want to know, are there things that are still being worked on at Bookshark? Well, we're excited right now. We just we are launching high school this year, and uh, we've been telling the market we're going to launch high school now for at least six years. We're going to launch, we're going to launch, and there's always been a, a hiccup. Um, actually, we did finally launch high school, and the book we use to, um, uh, we call them a spine, you know, you have a history reference book you use that you build your, your curriculum around. Well, that spine went out of print. And um, so here we go. We finally get it out. We finally tell them, see, we have high school. And then it went away. And then you have the pandemic, and the pandemic kind of put our product development team all out uh, to where um, they were, uh, I wouldn't say handcuffed, but um, they were, <laughs> I'll just be honest about the pandemic. Anybody who worked for the company was in the warehouse picking books or they were on the phone taking orders and, and um, dealing with the issues we'd be having by being so overwhelmed uh, by calls. So in 2020, I had a few people working on science as I could in the, in the few hours they could squeeze into a, a month. But uh, we basically lost that year complete. So we lost high school, I think, in 19. Uh, we wanted to get it back in 20 and there was no way we were going to get back in 20. And then uh, 2021, we were all just kind of taking a deep breath and saying, okay, what are we going to do now? And so um, uh, that year, we just caught up in all the updates we had to make. And then finally, in 2022, we can focus on high school. And we had great writers on it. I think we have uh, great books selected. Um, I really think I'm excited for it. I've, the few people I've shared it with in the market, uh, they're beyond excited because we have a lot of – one of the products we do have is history of science that can be used as a history elective history of science is a it's a heavy core 
I learned more from that program than anything we've done at Bookshark. They, they go all the way back to the very first scientific item that from the moment that that was discovered, all the scientists who built upon it to get to the theory of relativity. And uh, it's a high school level book, I think. So high school students out there who uh, want to go into STEM or want to go into science, I mean, you want to learn about a wealth of knowledge and being able to learn about science. And there's a corresponding science program that goes with it um, that gets to apply everything that you learn. So um, we have, I mean, technically when we're done with government economics, we'll have four courses and uh, um, we're really excited to get that started. I actually had a conversation with someone on Monday um, who told uh, who told me the number of people um, from their high school who are excited to get it. So, Well, I know our customers are excited to hear that our high school is coming back and we appreciate their patience as we have worked through the pandemic like everyone else, but have been diligent to not only get it done, but to do it well. So it matches the quality of everything else that we have turned out thus far. Absolutely. We're excited. Uh, we think that it's going to be a, a great catapult if people want to um, go to college or not, they'll have that, uh, we'll have a literature based, um, uh, understanding of history. So they'll have a lot of empathy and understand what's happened in the past. Um, whether they go to college, they have a great, um, they have a great baseline. If they, if they end up not going to college, they have a, they have a pretty strong understanding of what, what was going on. So when they have to look something up on Google, uh, 15 years from now, I'm like, you know, when did this happen again? And they look it up. They don't only remember when it happened. They'll remember all the um, all the circumstances around it, which is really what literature-based curriculum is all about. And it's what we love here at Bookshark. Greg, thank you so much for coming on today. I know that our audience um, will really appreciate getting this behind-the-scenes look at Bookshark and, and where it came from. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jan. It was a good idea to, to be able to, to hang out and talk with you. Um, I've always talked about, uh, <laughs> Jan has been, um, Jan has been such a cool uh, addition to the company because, uh, our department, uh, Bookshark in general, it, it was such a fun company. Well, thank you. I'm sure it's no stretch of the imagination for those who are listening or watching to know that I am the party gal. You are it. You are it. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.